The views expressed on this podcast represent only those of the hosts and do not represent the views of the Student National Medical Association. Are you a pre-medical student interested in osteopathic medicine, an osteopathic medical student, or a current DO? If so, we encourage you to sign up to be a mentor or mentee for the Osteopathic Committee Mentorship Program. The mentorship program will provide opportunities for mentees to find like-minded mentorship and mentors to give back to students who need guidance and assistance. Sign up via email at mentoringsubcommittee2020 2021 at snma.org. Welcome to SNMA Presents The Lounge. Whether you're in the student lounge, doctor's lounge, or lounging around at home, get ready to join SNMA for meaningful conversations on topics affecting minorities in medicine and groups that often sit at the margins of healthcare. I'm student Dr. Erica Dingle. Hey, y'all. And today, what we are going to, I guess, ask as our icebreaker, yeah, is what is your favorite holiday in the latter part of the year and why? So we got three options. We got (laughs) Halloween, Thanksgiving. I'll actually throw in Christmas Kwanzaa. Mm-hmm. So it's five and New Year's. So y'all go. I want to know what your favorite holidays are. Cool. Hey, everyone. I'm student Dr. Isabella. So, you know, I feel like I feel like I'm obligated to only say like really one answer because I was literally born on not necessarily a holiday, but like the day before the holiday, I was born on New Year's Eve. So I'm just I'm a holiday baby at heart. So like <laughs> I feel like I should say New Year's, but I'd be lying because that's just not the case. Um, right. I think every single time it hits, like, New Year's just is kind of crazy to me. And I feel like because it's always my birthday time that it's hard to, like, distinguish, oh, am I mostly celebrating my birthday or am I celebrating, like, the New Year coming? And, like, at some point in my life, it just kind of, like, became one thing, like, okay, it's a new year in life and it's a new year for me. So kind of, like, combining that. Um, but I guess, like, just holiday that I enjoy because it's something that – or at least for me, holiday represents family, love, like coming together. So a holiday, I feel like I always get to experience that as Thanksgiving. So I have to say Thanksgiving is like my favorite holiday. Um, I always make the same thing, my, like my famous baked mac and cheese. Everybody eats it. It's just a, it's a very I good. <laughs> oh, word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very good. Listen, and I and I perfect word. the recipe every the recipe every year. It's always like a little bit better each year. So and yeah, I'm definitely chef is. <laughs> chill, chill, chill. You so gotta pull me. up with that dish at uh, Amec next year. You're right. You're right. right. I, You're right. I gotta, pull up I gotta throw dish. it in the in the airplane. Hopefully, it's not gonna get moldy. But you know, we'll <laughs> not see. Moldy. <laughs> now, freeze that joint. My mom used to freeze mac and cheese all the time. I pull up oh, three, four hour a, flight, easy. That's a good idea. Okay, okay, heard yeah. you. You know, this is your, this your boy, Doctor Aldwin, um, and I would say. My favorite holiday. I don't really got a favorite holiday. My holiday is every day because I get to be black, blessed, and famous. <laughs> this guy. To be honest. <laughs> See, all, why can't you just follow? Why can't you just follow the trend? Because <laughs> I don't really got. I, I'm not going to lie. Like I don't oh got a holiday, favorite holiday coming up. So I just feel like when I get up every morning, like it's a holiday because I'm alive and I could do what I want and live how I want and <clears throat> have an opportunity to be on this podcast with my beautiful co-host. 
and change okay. the world. That's it. You know, Thank holidays you. every day. Love All that. right, Thanks. don't push me off. Don't, yo, we, yo, throw them hands, bro. You pushing me off. <laughs> we not. We not. Thank you for participating, yet yeah. not participating. No, we, appre- <laughs> we appreciate you. No doubt. My, my favorite holiday is probably... Probably Thanksgiving because I feel like the food just hits mm-hmm. on Thanksgiving. There's nothing like getting up if you do Thanksgiving breakfast. That's a there's fun. nothing mm-hmm. like Thanksgiving breakfast. Then you know you you take a little bit to let your bellies go down, and then you start <laughs> smelling yeah. that turkey and Ooh, dressing la la. and all the sides in the air, and it's just. Like Christmas, Chris. So I feel like on Christmas you have the same food that you do on Thanksgiving, but it hits different. So it's like the first introduction to that food. So Mm -hmm. yeah, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday, and you get to be thankful. Like truly, you know, sit down, have a minute, and be like, you know what, I am thankful today and every Mm -hmm. day, like all when. That's it. One (laughs) hundred. So you know what time it is. Keeping it one hundred is our favorite time of the show. (laughs) <laughs> it is time to run the list run the list so okay. you know what it is for our preclinical students running the patient list on the wards allows the team to address pressing matters of the day in this segment of the show we'll be discussing some recent events in medicine and beyond affecting our communities and the populations we serve and with the first topic you know we got to give a shout out a clap for my boy <laughs> President Joseph Biden. Oh, he got <laughs> president. Oh, oh now, now he's time. president. All the, he's president he, now? He got elevated. <laughs> <laughs> my I man went from an F to a C minus. <laughs> a strong C minus. Yeah, I agree. But y'all know what it is. On August 24th, the Biden administration announced a multi-part plan for targeted student loan debt forgiveness that is projected to impact 43 million loan borrowers in the United States. And amazingly, amazing, $20,000 of loans for Pell Grants recipients will be forgiven and up to 10,000 for non-Pell Grants. Shout out to the Pell Grant. I got my 20K pulling up. You know what I mean? <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. But also the, the caveat is, you know, um, I'm sorry for anybody that's making over 125K. Like, honestly, I'm very empathetic. You know, I think there's a lot of doctors. <laughs> That's making that bread. But unfortunately, no, right. they won't be forgiven. Um, anybody whose earnings exceed more than 125000 or households earning more than 250000 per year will be excluded from getting uh, any type of loan uh, debt forgiveness, unfortunately. But I wanted to ask y'all, like, in particular, you know, this is great. And statistics have shown especially that this is positively and significantly uh, improving uh, 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 you know, circumstances for black students. Uh, but what are y'all thoughts mm-hmm. on this new plan for Joseph President Joseph Biden? How do you feel, guys? You know, I think. Oh, go ahead, Erica. No, I'm just. I'm. Mm, go ahead. I don't even talk, think I have thoughts yet. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's funny. I'm glad we started off with this because, Aldi, I know you've been, like, on Biden's neck about these loans. And you've been waiting on this moment. You've been waiting on, we've talked about this for at least three episodes. So I'm glad we we can be able to have an episode where this has actually happened. That's crazy to me. Um, I think as someone who just has a very high loan burden in general, being in medical school, like, 
this is um this is a great feat but at the same time it's not going to make as much as a difference to say somebody who maybe took out less right like that's just me being honest but at the same time Mm -hmm. i don't want to be like ungrateful that something has like you know like some money is still something it's not like it's nothing but i think that regardless i'm still going to be paying loans for a good minute just given my career path but this is going to be great for people who say like didn't really have that much loans or like maybe they had a semester where they didn't like their scholarship fell through maybe they lost their scholarship and they had to take out something and now this is like a second chance for them to like not have to worry about it so i think it's going to be a really good opportunity for a lot of like uh, especially like minority uh students because we know that black people are the ones who tend to not have the funds like mm-hmm. coming into college and other grad you know degree programs versus like most other non-black families will have college funds and have things prepared for their kids and like sometimes we don't really have that so it's going to be really beneficial for um a lot of black kids moving or black people in um carrying degrees and who got degrees moving forward so i think it's it's really um you know kudos to Press Joe. Um, we I, I didn't think you was gonna make it, but you made it, and you know we're grateful that that mm-hmm. you were able to at least pull a little bit of something for Americans everywhere. So this is really good. Yeah, I think it was awesome to like finally see something that I feel like a number of people have been requesting. Like you see it all over social media, right? Like somebody mm-hmm. in one of these foreign countries cancel, like hack into these loan systems and cancel my debt for all <laughs> of the hacking you do. Like this was something that people really, really wanted to happen. Um, but there is a subset. Yes, there's a subset that, you know, will greatly benefit from this. I think, this is probably at the hands of uh, VP Kamala Harris. I feel like she really kind of pushed for mm. this this initiative, specifically with the Pell Grants, because to Isabella's point, you know, a lot of these students that are, come from these underrepresented areas, they're the ones that are actually applying for and ending yep. up with Pell Grants. Mm-hmm. But I think a bigger conversation, you know, when we consider our counterparts in medical school and residency, like, it's a drop in the bucket in some instances, if at all, because like mm-hmm. some people actually have their undergrad loans paid off. This does right. not affect any higher level um, education, like beyond a bachelor's degree. Right. So, you know, all when we talked about your I'll call it a debacle, right? In residency, the paycheck, you know, mm-hmm. you're not making a whole lot. And it's crazy that you have these residents that are expected to make these payments whenever they start, you know, being required how do you feel i know you said you had pell grants but pell grants is your undergrad considering the debt that you have with regards to medical school alone how do you feel knowing that there's really nothing coming up the pipeline yet in this regard well you know the thing is with this situation obviously y'all know like i'm in like over half a million debt and this really, I'm not really celebrating for myself, but rather celebrating for everyone else. There is a unique injustice that is seen when we talk about student loan debt. Oftentimes, most of the burden is carried on many Black families, many Black individuals. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. their families can't support them to help them tackle on a lot of this debt. Interest builds up, et cetera, et cetera. And actually, an interesting statistic that I found was that Black women in particular carry disproportionate burden of student debt. They actually hold two thirds of the $2 trillion of mm-hmm. student debt in the United That's States. Wild. Right? right? And it's crazy. This is exactly why we need this because oftentimes most of the individuals that acquire this debt, many of them don't have necessarily more than 30,000. So you're talking about somebody that's 
able to take ten, twenty thousand dollars off of that debt and then pay that off in such a short amount of time and then have extra financial funds invest or do other things with their life as opposed to allowing the interest to build and cause you know havoc i think it's a beautiful thing now for me yeah. you know obviously it's a small like drop in the sum but i think that some money is better than no money and at the end right. of the day this is the land of the free but are we truly free when we have all this debt uh, when when we have so many individuals and constituents that have to prioritize, like, for instance, I was reading an article, a woman was like, I have to prioritize not being able to take my child to daycare because I got to mm. pay these student loans. So, like, what am I like? How do I even navigate this whole process? And now this yeah. is taking that burden off her so that now she can make the appropriate decisions to take care of her family. And then we talk about moving toward the future. Like, if you got all these loans, like, how do you even make that next step, that next decision, right? It's a barrier to success. So many of my homies is looking like, oh, 50K to get a master's, and I'm not even guaranteed a job. Like, yo, 50, nah, 80. Eighty night, right? I'm not with it, or being a doctor. That's why, I like, I'm one of the only doctors from my hood. You, at the end of the day, people are not willing to take on that debt, and you go to right. other countries. Mm -hmm. People are able to go. Like, there's a lot of IMGs at my medical, uh, at my um residency program. They got zero debt, bro. And I ain't gonna lie, I'm hating on it because they taking a full check and don't gotta save nothing to pay anything mm. off. But for me, it's like I, I gotta save another two, three hundred dollars, and I'm part of this system that's paying taxes you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. like my man from canada was like yo i'm making more than you because they not taxing me i'm not a united states citizen so it's wow. little stuff like that that you just be thinking like damn do you there's like a there's benefits but then there's also a disadvantage and not being able to allow people to make that decision for themselves to say i want to go to school i want to educate myself but then why would i take on 40 50 100k 500k in my case and then not really get positive retribution you know moving forward so i think it's a beautiful thing that he's doing this and it's just a start and there's going to be more discussions about this and how even the pslf they're trying to mount and change some of the circumstances with that and it's mm -hmm. going to allow a lot of black families to create that wealth we know what it is one twenty thousand for white families twenty four thousand for black families in terms of their overall wealth now we could be able to bridge that gap and restart this thing i call the new black wall street just mm. off of this you feel me so I like it. Yeah, no doubt. You know, this is how we do it. Yeah. Seems like there's a lot of changes coming from the White House, some expected and some unexpected for one of the I don't know. We might have all expected this at some point. But Dr. Anthony Fauci, who's worked in public service for more than 50 years, announced on August 22nd, uh, he plans to step down from his national leadership roles in December. Right. So, you know. I think we kind of probably saw this coming. Like, I feel like he just got tired of us <laughs> right. as a, as the United States of America and how we've completely shown our behinds during a pandemic. Mm -hmm. But maybe he's just retiring. Um, I don't know. Do you think he kind of did his part being a part of the White House Coronavirus Task Force? Like, you know, I feel like... Hail, hail Dr. Fauci. He got us through for what it's worth. <laughs> what y'all think? Yeah. This man has literally been in leadership Forever. since like what AIDS, the AIDS epidemic, or maybe even before then. Yeah. Um, Cause well, basically since let's just say he's been in leadership since 1984. So whatever mm -hmm. was going on in 1984, which definitely was HIV slash AIDS. That's a fact. And he played such a huge role in that. And everyone knows like how much of a, such a, scary unsure time that was people didn't know how hiv right. was contracted people didn't know like what like what 
can happen if you contract the disease? Mm-hmm. Like what are risks? Like people didn't know anything. And now it's crazy how in 2022, it's like people live for years and years and years like with HIV and like mm-hmm. fine. So it, it just goes to show you the importance of medicine and like how much it impacts people on a day-to-day basis. So man, Dr. Fauci, he's, um, he has really earned his stripes in this, uh, this field of medicine beyond just like treating patients, but as well as being a part of public health, like truly public health and serving the lives of people in this country. He's done a lot. And I think, you know, if the man wants to step down, let him step down. He's 84. He, or is he 81? Sorry, 81. let me not let me not mm-hmm. add years to this man's life. That's not <laughs> that's not warranted. Yeah, it's, if he wants to do what he's, I mean, I was reading the Washington Post article on on his um his statement of wanting to retire, and he said he wants to write books. He wants to be able to like teach and do other yep. things with his life, Love and you know, just like kind of take a break from the public the public uh, pressure of having to literally lead health in this country, which we know can be scary <laughs> given right. covid and everything that happened with that so you know the man wants to he wants to kick back and go to martha's vineyard like our, our like uncle bomb over there let him do it i'm, I'm <laughs> not i'm <laughs> not <laughs> no, <Martha's> <laughs> yeah i have nothing to say but you know i definitely I, I i think a good question to ask though to you guys is like do you guys think the scrutiny that he kind of received throughout especially during the covid pandemic do you think it kind of contributed to his recent decision mm. to step down or do you think it's kind of like a separate issue Man's, regardless of his decision, like the man's is legendary, man. He grew, you know what I'm saying, NAH agency from $350 million to a $6 billion budget over mm-hmm. his tenuous 50 years. I mean, the man, remember like last year, two years ago, he had literal death threats. Like he was running, like running every morning prior to starting work. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, there's, I was always like on a guard looking around, wondering if someone was going to hurt me or my wife. So he took a, a significant mm-hmm. risk. Right. And this man is one of the most, uh, you know, um, cited resources ever mm-hmm. in, in regards to medical research. And so mm-hmm. I feel like regardless of if he felt like he was pressured to do so or not, like I, we have to respect his decision because he's been right. through the trenches. He's been through so many significant events that have happened in America. And regardless, yeah. like we got to celebrate and respect the fact that he was truth, truthful to who he was. He didn't like let himself up to others, the pressure of others. He lived in his own integrity. And mm-hmm. try to encourage a new generation of people. The reason why he's stepping down, like you said, Isabella, is to inspire the next generation of scientists. Right. How how more powerful is that? He don't right. got to do that. 81 years old, he's toward the end of his life. And he said, you know what? I've done enough. <laughs> no, I'm saying like yes. relatively. Like, I'm not trying to say he's going to die. Like I'm toward the, you feel me? Like he's right. toward like toward the latter stage, he's more mature. You feel right. me? He's toward the latter stage. But no, think about it honestly. Like, how many eighty-one-year-olds? There's eighty-one-year-olds in the hospital that I'm at right now that's right. Like, really sick in the ICU bedbound. Right. Yeah. This man has taken it upon himself to create that mental stability for himself and say, you know what? I'm going to help others usher in the next generation right. of success, excellence, and the like. So I love what he's doing. I love the fact that also he's making four hundred eighty thousand dollars a year. <laughs> I know. I saw the salary. Employee. I said what? I said Bro, what? He's he probably one of the richest, like Listen, you know, what I'm saying no, <laughs> eighty girls ever at the right. end of the day. So I, I mean, I love, I love Fauci and what he stands for, and I think that we got to give him a round of applause, regardless of what happened during the pandemic, the misinformation, the misconnection between the the, the right. citizens and themselves. You know, there's it, right. a lot of complications going on, but Fauci is really the man. Yeah, he's he's to your you said it. He earned his stripes, and I feel like you know, go lay down, Shaka <laughs> Fauci, go lay down, um, and uh, you know, 
kind of transition into a, a completely different field altogether, but another goat that deserves to go lay down or go live her life. Mm. We have Serena Williams, who announced that she mm. too, or she is, you know, deciding to sit out and chill out and raise a family. Mm. Um, the 23 time Grand Slam singles Woo! champion, Crazy. one one of the most dominant figures in global sports over mm-hmm. the last few decades, you know, mm-hmm. is, has made the decision to retire. I believe she just kind of wants to be a mom, a wife, like be with her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's dope because we see these superheroes of ours all the time, kind of like Mm-hmm. Not, you know, not chillaxing. Like, you got to just go, 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 go. And I, I think time. it's honorable that she made the statement, you know, like, she just wants to be the mother and be there for her daughter. That's dope. Right. She's yeah. she's one more than enough. Um, so... And honestly, to respectfully slide through, Erica, because I think this is such an important point to make. Like when we're Mm -hmm. comparing, say, Dr. Fauci's retirement, where this man looks like he's ready to hop, skip and fly his way to retirement. (laughs) And Serena more so (laughs) being she talked, you know, in this Vogue article about actually she's pretty upset, like to be retiring. Like she's actually seems very like she's mourning this process. And I think that's like something we don't really talk about when it comes Mm -hmm. to people making decision to retire or to like move on to the next stage. It's not always like a happy sing-along process. Sometimes like when something's been such a big part of your life for so long and that's how you've identified yourself, it's hard to separate yourself from that, that piece of you. And her being a tennis player was like, she said in the article, like literally gave her almost everything. It gave her so much. And for her, it's more so like a decision she feels like she has to make for the sake of her kid. Not more so that's something that if say she like given different circumstances, if she didn't have a kid, would she actually have retired at this time? Right. We don't know that, but it's more so that given where she's at in her life, she feels like it's the necessary step to make. But I think it's just a a good point to make. Like, you know, she loved tennis. Like she was a tennis player and that's how she identified. And like, Mm -hmm. this is a big step for it to be actually moving on. Um, And she, you know, like you said, Erica, like she's doing the mother thing. She also, I didn't even know has like a venture capitalist, like, company that she Mm -hmm. runs serena uh, serena ventures and like that's become such a successful business platform for her and she wants to focus on that like she's just trying to live you know kind of like trying to put more energy and other things that she now has to dedicate time to but she's always gonna love tennis and she's always gonna identify as a tennis player but she it's just like a a necessary step she has to make so i just kind of wanted to like throw that in there that i think yeah yeah it's important I loved in the article too um, that she mentioned, you know, her daughter was in the back of the car and was, you know, she had a little play toy and it asked like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she, mm-hmm. the daughter said, I want to be a big sister. And then at mm-hmm. that moment, Serena was like, man, I really realized like I've given so much time and effort into this game of tennis. Mm-hmm. And she, she reported in the article that she spent over the last five years that her daughter's born, she spent only one day where she's not been with her daughter, mm-hmm. like for 24 hours, you know what I'm saying? Right. So that means mm-hmm. she's significantly like putting investment, investing so much worth into her daughter. And then the next step now is that she's trying to get pregnant with her husband. And at the age of 41, you know, that could be a little bit of a challenge. But the, the fact that matters is that families above all. In the article, mm. she says, if I had to pick between doing tennis and then helping my daughter develop as a productive human being of society, I would always choose the latter. Helping right. my family mm. and being present for that. And I think that was just beautifully articulated. Her transparency, her emotion, 
her, you know, her poise in that in that article was really meaningful to me because oftentimes when we see our athletes, like we look at them again, we look at them like they're gods and everything, but they're also human beings. They have right. their passions. They have their sense of integrity that they they want to live in, and they don't necessarily have to be what you want them to be. She wants to be who she wants to be at this mm. point in life, at forty one mm. years of age, and the power right. in that is being an independent black woman and continue to represent. So, shout out to Serena, and I love what how she continues to usher in that 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 remarkable courageousness at the end of the yeah. day. Shout out to my good sis, Serena. And, you know, we're celebrating Black women, honestly. Like, I celebrate Serena and this path that she's taken to move into the next stage. And I also celebrate other Black women who have moved on from this life abruptly without a say. And whether or not Mm. they could, circling back to our good sis, Breonna Taylor, who was brutally murdered in her own home. We've talked about Breonna Taylor's case in multiple previous episodes on the podcast. Now... Mm -hmm. We're talking about her in the sense of them recircling back to the original uh, case that she didn't get her justice in. Now it says that the uh, the U.S. Justice Department announced that current and former officers involved in those events prior to and during the raid that eventually took Brianna's life is going to be charged with federal crimes, which include federal civil rights offenses, unlawful conspiracies, and obstruction for their roles in preparing and approving a false search warrant and later use of excessive force. So to date, no officer has been charged with shooting or killing Brianna. But do you guys think that these new federal changes they're bringing like actually adds any sense of vindication? Or is this just like them trying to cover their tracks of something that wasn't done when it should have been done? I don't feel like no, nothing is, brings vindication. That's such a tricky word for me. Because <laughs> right. like in these situations, yeah, like what is really going to feel like vindication? She's right. gone. Right. And y'all sat on this for what, two years? Right. So like vindication, but get out of here. Like, no, to your point, this should have been in place already. So right. no, it doesn't feel like vindication. It doesn't feel like anything retrograde, retrospective, none of that. It feels mm-hmm. like it's about time. Um right. and it's just it's just overall still sad. I remember when we talked about it, like there was a lot going on around that time. A it lot. was it was a heavy time. But mm-hmm. when remember when they read the um it was like the the act what was it wanted wanton something, wanton endangerment. Something. I didn't even Want- think his name was worth Want- wanton endangerment <laughs> with when when like it, the the whole thing was just crazy. Yeah. And crazy. the bullet, the bullet that hit her, it, it didn't matter that they couldn't charge for that. The whole case right. was just like, right. are y'all really right. doing this right now? This is another right. black woman dead. So they could miss me with all of this. Sorry, I just went on a rant, but like <laughs> that's all good. I love miss- it. Literally. Bring the miss energy, me- son. No, miss me with all of it. Like Literally. two years later, bye. Mm-mm. Yeah, March thirteenth, twenty twenty. Like you mentioned, Erica, two years later, and it's crazy. Like a former Louisville police detective helped write a warrant, and essentially the warrant was not even official. Like they faked the warrant, and mm-hmm. <laughs> like how you fake a whole warrant, and then someone loses their life over the fact that you was just trying to push what for whatever reason push this agenda that you wanted to get her boyfriend so bad that she ended up losing her life. And now this person is in, uh, up, uh, facing up to three, five years in prison or $250,000 in fines. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like, it's just, it's unfortunate. It's taken so much to 
to receive some type of justice for a black woman who was literally murdered. And we continue to fight for this woman, but no one is speaking up for her. You know, mm -hmm. it's silence. It's, you know, Daniel Cameron, you know, the attorney general of the state of Kentucky, even himself had to apologize on behalf of the police department. And it took mm -hmm. him long enough. A black man that was not representing us the right way. And so mm -hmm. it's still so much that we need to figure out in, in regards to the inv investigation of this. But I feel like all four officers that are implicated in this process and including that fifth officer that faked the actual, uh, you know, warrant, they need to they need to be trial in the court of law and no mm -hmm. qualified immunity. No, I don't rock with that qualified immunity. Like nope, just because your police all. officer does not mean that you get any significant or beneficial rights over the standard citizen. Because right. if I pulled up and kicked someone's door and shot somebody, you damn right, I'm going to get time. So why not? It don't matter. Like, it don't matter if you were doing it under the, the, the vestige of police and law enforcement. Mm. It's what's wrong is wrong. Somebody was chilling in their crib. How do you expect somebody to act when you right. kick their doors? Like, right. of course I'm going to pull out a hammer and start shooting. What do you right. think I'm going to do? Just chill? Like, get off? <laughs> like, for real. You know what I mean? Right. Like, the circumstances, they're not even reading into the proper circumstances. The man wasn't yeah. even committing a crime. You know? Yeah. So shout out to Breonna Taylor. And so unfortunate that her family has to still continue to go through this to this day. Still. Trauma yeah. is reinvented over and over and over again. And there has not been the appropriate you know, re repercussions and consequences instituted for these officers. And so the, the real motion is like, how do we continue to protect our black women when society doesn't deem them valuable enough to be protected? Right. Mm -hmm. Two years. Let it be a white woman. Watch it be less than a month. We'll see mm -hmm. what the what the sentence is. People's getting life. Watch these officers not even get life. Watch them not even get a year. They're going to walk mm -hmm. away smiling. You know what I mean? So it's just whack, but I love that we're moving in a, pr a progressive for, um, uh, fashion and a positive way for her. And, you know, rest in peace to the queen. Yeah, um, uh, we're moving in a, it doesn't seem very progressive though. Like, yeah. Yeah. Some days it does, but some days we it doesn't. But I think, you know, platforms such as the SNMA podcast, other podcasts that kind of shed light on what's happening and mm -hmm. like grassroots organizations that, kind of say hey this is what's up in your community like that kind of facts i don't know now, i won't say takes the sting off of it but places where you can come commune and chat about it it's almost right. like therapeutic so i'm grateful for those types of spaces that was a little bit of a of an aside sorry <laughs> <laughs> sorry sorry that's all good um, so we like on the on our podcast to talk about two things I think is like a consistent theme, health and money. Like we'll get mm -hmm. into entertainment, but we're very big on since we're, you know, medical students here or mm -hmm. doctors, Dr. Aldwin. Hey, Dr. Aldi. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this we try to bring you guys, you know, some kind of tidbit of health information. And I think it's dope. But yeah, money and health run it over here. So in September is Ovarian Cancer Awareness Month. So we wanted to take some time to highlight this disease and kind of give you insight on the signs and symptoms, factors that could increase your risk, et cetera. And just some facts and figures, ovarian cancer is the fifth leading cause of cancer death in women. And is estimated to result in about 19,880 new diagnoses and about 12,810 deaths in the U.S. this year. So those stats are kind of high considering. Yeah. Um, 
So women, ladies, go to your OBGYN appointments. Like, you know, I don't, what's the age you're supposed to, you just got off of OB. Is so yeah, girl. Edgy. That's why I had to get my <laughs> pap smear at the at the geriatric yeah. age of twenty four. Girl, I got my first pap smear. I should have got that at, at twenty one. <laughs> no, that's standard. No, that's standard, isn't it? Yeah. No. Well, so pap smear is supposed to be at twenty one. I got it at mm-hmm. twenty four, and I only got it because they scared me during orientation, saying you can get this, have these diseases, and <laughs> oh. this, that, the third. And you need this HPV. I had none of that. I never got the HPV. Like I just got my first dose of the HPV vaccine. When well, I got new, my though. pap smear, HPV yeah, vaccine is new, so that's yeah, that's really, that joint well, ain't new. Well, <laughs> new. well Bruh, no, no. Well, now now they're trying to make sure that like kids oh. get it. Like you can get, I think, as young yeah, as either 14. not, yeah, a nine, eleven, something around that age. But listen, I had none of that. Okay, and I was scared for my life. So I like went to the Aww. OB, got my pap smear, got my first dose of the HPV vaccine. Um, but. I think um, in terms of uh, what you, sorry, Eric, what was the original question? Uh, well, no, I was saying everybody need to go to the OB. Yes, I yes. Signs yeah. of symptoms, but yes. I, I think the best age to go is honestly when you can get your first pap smear, which is 21. Before that time, if you are sexually active, you should be kind of seeing an OB, like an OB for just like contraception, counseling, um, mm-hmm. getting, of course, your HPV vaccine. You can even get that now from your pediatrician, actually, the, the HPV vaccine. Um, 2006, so y'all talking about is relatively new. Y'all should Sir, sir, I mean? 2006. <laughs> That's relative. It, it ain't as new as the influenza virus <laughs> vaccine. Come on, stop it, stop it, stop it. All right, guys, listen. Regardless, get your <laughs> anyone listening, get your HPV vaccine. That's the moral of the story for today. But I, you <laughs> yes. know, not not to. Uh, overshine what you were saying Erica but with the ovarian cancer stuff right that was actually a really big topic we talked about on my OBGYN orientation like how it presents with like the like least specific symptoms right so some of the Mm -hmm. signs and symptoms ovarian cancer is like abdominal bloating or swelling early Mm -hmm. satiety which basically means like getting feeling full early from eating weight Mm -hmm. loss pelvic pain and discomfort fatigue back pain urinary frequency like very non-specific symptoms so a mm-hmm. lot of times women don't know oh like could this be something serious and there was right. we had like actual patient panels of women who right. got like diagnosed with ovarian cancer but usually when they get diagnosed it's at a much later stage because they didn't know that these symptoms no were serious you know so it's mm-hmm. like it's a very like dangerous and aggressive cancer and mm-hmm. so if you are a woman, if you're listening to this and like you have been feeling any of these symptoms, especially if you have like a mom or an older like woman figure in your life who's been complaining of these symptoms, tell them to not walk, but run to the OBGYN and like mm. get screening. Usually it's a transvaginal ultrasound and also something called a CA-125 level that you get. And mm-hmm. that is usually like the two most specific ways you can uh test for ovarian cancer other things that can increase your risk right having certain uh genetic mutations BRCA1 BRCA2 that's usually found in breast cancer Mm. so if you have Mm -hmm. a family history of breast cancer that's something that should prod you to see maybe am I at higher risk of having ovarian cancer having Lynch syndrome which is something that's like more like a GI type of uh, genetic syndrome Mm -hmm. family family history of course of ovarian cancer Um, endometriosis all of these things are risk factors that should prompt you to get further screening for ovarian cancer sorry didn't want to steal your little tidbit girl but you know <laughs> you got me no, <laughs> you got me going yeah. no, you just got off your rotation so i think it was insightful considering mm-hmm. you just yeah. like this is fresh for you and you said mm-hmm. you saw some patients so right that's a fact. That, that is dope so right appreciate it 
of course. So hopefully everyone has a little bit of knowledge about the topic. Um, You know, that was our health spiel of the podcast for this episode. Uh, We can now get into our little entertainment, right? Because y'all know we love the entertainment aspect of the podcast. Okay, okay, stop. (laughs) My favorite aspect, my favorite aspect to run the list. Uh, So (laughs) not sure how popular this show has gotten just yet. I know we have a lot. We've talked about Insecure, right? When Insecure was still a thing right Right. before the show ended. We are big Issa Rae fans on the podcast. So- Mm -hmm respectfully we have to talk about her other projects right she's had other things coming out on hbo max and uh one of them is sweet life la so this is i think like a hidden gem in hbo max if you have not watched it go ahead and like turn on your tv and watch it it is pretty much a reality television show uh that follows a group of african-american friends in their 20s living in la and just overall just striving for black excellence and community and just doing their thing um so of course, I'm not going to go into the whole entire show because there's so many things that they kind of go through in their everyday to day life. But there is one specific theme I think is pretty important that we should bring up to all of our listeners is kind of the theme of parenthood before marriage. Right. There mm-hmm. are about two couples on the show who kind of express that, oh, like one of them actually saying, oh, like, you know, I actually want to have a kid with my girlfriend. Mm. But the girlfriend saying she wants to at least be engaged before that happens. And then the Mm. cousin of that same guy saying he wanted to have a kid, Mm. his girlfriend now says, hey, like, so what happens if I got knocked up? Because, like, I'm kind of on the same wave as uh, your cousin's girlfriend. Like, I want to be married before a kid. He said, oh, well, I will step up. I'll step up. You'll step up for a kid but why is it now when we're talking about marriage you're saying well we have things to work on we have issues that we have to build on like whoa 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 whoa. (laughs) so i just wanted to ask you guys like what do you guys think like how this kind of this mentality of kids before marriage like what's y'all thoughts on this because listen i know where i stand but i feel like everyone has like their own kind of like mindset on the issue Uh. Shout out to the young Lord, Nick Cannon. (laughs) 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 No, I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. Nah, how I feel about it, like, honestly, I don't want to have kids before marriage, but I'm not going to judge people that feel like that's that's necessary, that's their right. But I feel like to create, like, a very, you know what I'm saying, like, foundation, that marriage component got to be there because it shows that you are investing in that person, you are investing in that family. And mm-hmm. of, of course, people could leave marriages and this and that. But the fact of the matter is that you've instituted a higher level of thought into the whole process. And when you bring somebody into marriage, it says a lot about what it means to you. It says a lot about the sanctity, the union, the foundation, again, the building of the future that you have with this particular person. Now, when you are not in a marriage circumstances, then you have a child with somebody else. It sometimes it may not necessarily lead to the best circumstances at the end of the day. I feel like a lot of people, they end up being, you know, having kids, having children, then just neglecting like their responsibilities and obligations. Because again, they don't have that higher institution of marriage there to say, yo, you know what you're doing is wrong. Like you got to hold this down. You with your queen, you with your shorty, you with your king. Now you got to build further and be more prosperous. So for oh, me, can it's I, like- can I, can I like just interject really, really quick? Yeah. I have a, I have a file. I just have a quick question. Cause I think yeah. I want to specifically ask you this because only, you know, what goes through your fellow black men's minds. I can't, uh-huh. no, I no, can't no, no. answer I can't, that question. I can't, I can't, no, I can't no, no, answer that question for you, <laughs> but listen, can yeah. you please tell me like, why is it that child, like having a kid somehow sounds like a better, more simplistic idea than marriage why does that evoke so much 
energy and fear in y'all like what is it about marriage that makes y'all scared but having mm. a kid it's like oh well you know it is what it is i'll step what what is that about i can't i can't speak to i mean <laughs> i don't think it's something simple like i feel like marriage is like that next level because we work all our lives to be stable enough to say it's cool to get married at this point because for us i feel like most black men we want to be able to have that bread have that foundation that stability before we enter into a situation so that we can hold again our queen down and hold our family down like if i'm making so, like wait, wait, do, kids, kids, do, do, do kids not require stability money and nah and they do but then i feel like you know it's the that frontal lobe that is not activated you know what I mean? Mm. In a proper mindset. Oh, the frontal lobe. Okay. Men, men, <laughs> men, you know, our our biology is start to propagate, you know what I'm saying? And promote ourselves toward our progeny. So we gonna be more sexual <laughs> and indecisive with protecting He's ourselves and moving that way. No, I'm just saying No, you're like, being you're being authentic. You're being like how we exactly. think is not necessarily like of course we want to build toward man- marriage, but I think like from a physical perspective, like our mm. first thought is yo, mm-hmm. like you got to get in. And sometimes when you're getting in, like you may make the wrong decision, mm. you know what I mean? And not think about, all right, maybe I need to hold back. Maybe I need not to move like this. Maybe, you know, I got to like be a little patient. Maybe I got to, you know, marry shorty because I'm really feeling her, but I want to move this way. So it's just like that maturity and that thought process. And mm. then oftentimes a lot of young heads, they don't get the game early on. Like, bro, make sure you protect yourself. Make sure you move the right way. Make sure you're with the right woman. Make sure you're thinking of yourself as well as the woman that you're with so that both of you are not in a wrong position, you know what I mean, at the end of the day. And sometimes it's a little hard when we talk about our society where it's like, yeah, we perpetuating, yeah, have multiple women, enjoy yourself, live your life, do what you got to do. But sometimes that leads to devastating consequences. So I think it's a, it's a matter of really having that mentorship and that leadership. And we don't have that. You know what I mean? Mm. So it, I have a lot to say. I don't know how much time I got, but let me see if I can wrap it up. No, if I could wrap it up real quick, I think Aldwin is correct in terms of men want to procreate. They are literally on earth to populate the earth or help Mm. populate the earth. And I think that's what their primary focus is. It's easier to procreate than to marry a woman. I think it's a cop out when men say they don't want to get like when they say when you say it's hard for them to get married and consider a child. Like, why is it easier to have a child? Listen, if a man wants to marry a woman, he will point blank, period. Okay, there's for the ones that say, "Oh, give me another five years." They just you ain't it, baby girl. Right. That's it. Yeah. That's right. it. Don't, yeah. And right. don't waste your prime years waiting on somebody to come around. Right. Um, but I think those conversations are not had enough, and this is why you have women that just want to have kids and you know not even have a father around because huh. they too feel the need to procreate. Our our mm. biological clocks are like, "Hey, give me a baby every month." That's literally mm. what it is. The older mm. you get, the more you feel it. Right. And you know, yes, you want a man around, but if you are of the two thirds of women who have trillions of dollars in debt, is it or the what is it? Two thirds of black women have the are, two thirds of the two trillion dollars are right are, uh, in debt belong to black, black women. women. So mm-hmm. if you're in that category and you're a higher earner, you know, it's like, hey, somebody could possibly just give me a baby and I can probably take care of it on my own. Mm-hmm. So like, this is a bigger conversation to have. Um, definitely a necessary one because the family unit is being destroyed, has been destroyed for years. So it'd be great to kind of get that back on track. However, you you have, you know, the um, 
the high value woman, if mm-hmm. you will, and the high value man. Yes, and it's very, very hard so. to kind of merge those two values because <laughs> they have different belief systems and different value systems. So, mm. um, but you, it, mm. the biggest thing though is how will this affect the children long term? Right, um, right. And I think that's something that neither man nor woman considers. For example, Nick Cannon, we do know that he went and said at some point, like, man, yes, probably so. would not have had this many children had I thought it out a little bit more because how can you split your time on whatever F-O-D. holidays are most special to you 10 ways it's just impossible and that's you know F-O-D. 10 10 children at this point like i, I just don't even, i don't know he flying how. everybody he got enough money to fly him to the crib though listen what? he's spraying his seed without thought and I, I i don't have any words left for that man like i think he just I think he's reached the point of no return. <laughs> that's just, that's it for him. Yeah, it's mm. it's sad. It's quite sad. Um, you just need to put them all up in a house. But and he's let doing his manly <laughs> duties, you know, like to him, that's what he's meant to be on this earth for. Again, mm-hmm. he is enacting his biology. And that's why men need their, mind. that's why black men need therapists. That's, that is right. That's right there. And you know what? Hey, our ancestors did it. You and know you know, me? again, and, my. My 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 listen, grandfather had four wives and he had thirty kids. So listen, we already had a black woman therapist on TikTok tell us about why you got mm. why black men. I'm not gonna say you all the okay. Let me you not throw you. Let me not throw you. Be in very this. careful. Okay. I would love to hear a black man's therapist. I have my finger up. If you don't take time. <laughs> Okay, but okay. Let me just say your black male counterparts. Right, we had a black woman therapist on TikTok literally talk about black men need therapy, and there's a there's a whole reasoning behind this. Right, there was a Psychology Today article that came out that said over the last thirty years, folks identifying as men have become a larger proportion of the long term single population. It represents sixty two percent of users on dating apps. So overall, younger and middle aged men are consequently said to be the loneliest they have been in generations. Right, but why is that the case? Right, well, the article kind of questions whether men are becoming more single because of their own emotional unav- unavailability and unhealthy like relationship standards. At the same time, that women are possibly raising their own standards. Right, like so, we had a black woman therapist on tiktok literally come out and like give her perspective saying hey like y'all have a lot like black men have a lot they need to dish out to kind of figure out how they can start getting back into this mentality of actual true romance love partnership and working and building towards that but somehow some way aldwin your counterparts found a way to make sure she lost her job so what do you have to say how about that us? Wait, wait, why why you said it's us? I know that ninety percent of her patients were black men, but that, that don't mean that it they has to ra- be us. they ratted her out, bro. They went bro. on I don't know who they talked to. I think she said that she they talked they called some type of comp- whoever bro, they talked to. But honestly, they, her job is not there. It's not there anymore. What happened? I yo, <laughs> honestly, yo, she if you're gonna bash if you're gonna bash people, you you she generalized across a whole scope of people. And then we know black men already don't feel like they're entitled enough to go to therapy. So when you're antagonized in that situation, how do you feel? Like you feel like a black man after seeing that is going to go speak to a black woman or therapist in general? Like we already know that we already have emotional instability and that society villainizes us. It doesn't make us feel comfortable to show our emotions. So now you are perpetuating the stereotype that is already there as opposed to being accepting and more Uh. open to saying, hey, black men, like. I would love for y'all to come see me. I would love for y'all to explore this 
area so that you could be more emotionally available for the black woman that you have relationships with. There's a way and standard in which you project mm -hmm. yourself. And she didn't project herself in a professional way from a mm -hmm. professional perspective. When you are a psychologist, we have an expectation. So I can't be saddened mm -hmm. that she got fired because now Ooh. it's hurting the company. <laughs> I'm just being real. Like, how many? No, I feel you. It went viral, you. son. You can't go any other way. Like, black men are going to see her and not even take her serious. Because it's like, yeah. do you really want to help me? Or That's the, you, that's the you, issue, though, when it comes to social media, Alvin. Yeah. Like, yeah. people be out here, like you said, this is a vulnerable issue, right? Mm. So, right. If I'm being vulnerable as a client of yours and you're a 90, you see 90% black men in your practice it's kind of like okay do you like what's more important potentially going viral or losing all of these clients of yours slash exposing you know what i'm saying right. like it it's <laughs> right what, what, what's more important um I think I think you guys yeah. are both bringing up interesting points because honestly speaking I'm not gonna hold you I did not see a one thing wrong with what that woman did and maybe that speaks to like what I believe to be um this term we say of professionalism and what really is professionalism, right? Because yeah. professionalism is coined on a lot of white standards and kind of like cultural innuendos of like how things are supposed to look when you, you're holding a certain position, you're supposed to be like, you know, projecting yourself in a certain way. Yes, she's a therapist, right? But clearly her TikTok, at least I don't think so, is her providing any kind of medical, professional medical or like therapeutic advice. I think this mm -hmm. is her blowing off steam mm -hmm. and saying that there is actually an issue with black men when it comes to making sure that they're in a good emotional headspace to be pursuing relationships and that, Hey, you guys probably should find yourself in therapy. Right. And maybe, you know, she, maybe she said it in a way that was probably not what, how she would say it right in her little office. Right. Mm -hmm. She, maybe she said it a little bit unconventional because it is TikTok. Like you want to get right. the views, you want to get the likes, whatever. Like, but I think that, to take it as far as to make sure that woman lost her job, that was doing a little, like, she didn't say, oh, you guys are dumb, like, you guys don't, like, do anything right. She pretty much just critiqued one aspect that she noticed in Black men, which there's literally an article about. Yeah. And it's challenging Black men to, like, step up to that. And she, and I mean, she didn't say any of her clients' names. She didn't, like, defy anybody's personal privacy. She was making a general statement. So, I mean, me personally, I think that woman did nothing wrong. But, you know, we're all entitled to our opinions. And I think that you guys still brought up interesting points in terms of like maybe how she said it wasn't in the best way that people felt comfortable and they felt attacked. And maybe that's why, you know, they let, went as far as she lost her job. Let that be, let that be a black man that said that. They, same I was about thing, to say the black, same thing. Black woman. Man. He would be he would more than lose his job, bro. Mm -hmm. Like he get jumped, his tires get slashed. Kevin Samuels be thrown over the Chattahoochee, Hoochie River in Georgia. Like, <laughs> no, nah, for Stop real though. It. For what it's worth, I'm not even Kevin, trying to compare. Now, good, good, Erica. I was going to say Kevin Samuels. He was not a professional, but like, imagine. <laughs> Kevin, y'all already know I'm controversial and I don't really care, okay? I he was, was not the only professional. one of the, I was one was of the only, no, not a professional. However, yeah. I probably am one of few women that bangs with some of the stuff that he said. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, but in him, like, if he was Thank a professional, you. let's just say he was. Mm -hmm. Do you not think black women would have been on that tail? Like, of course. 
it's maybe. just it's no, 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 maybe, Isabella. It ain't no maybe. It's a definite. You be on think, Oswin the way we would have been on them. Right. That's but what would I go as far as fact. to make sure would I would I make sure that, that person loses their job? Probably not. Like maybe but they I would like, do much to get her fired. They just send a video. Scorned? You just send a video to the company that it's over. They don't listen, have to do much. Listen, right. I think I think I think we can respectfully dis- agree to disagree on this matter. You know, like I think we all have like our perspectives on it, and every point, honestly speaking, is valid. I mean, if you right. depending on how you see mm-hmm. it, like there's you could see it in multiple ways, right? Different someone ways. could see it and say this is Agreed. like totally like verified, and someone could see it and be like, I actually don't really know what was the big issue. So I think right. it's like all about perspective, and right. I don't mm-hmm. knock anybody's perspective on the matter. You know, I'm just being authentic to how I felt about it but you yeah. know like I respect everybody's but everybody's I think, view I think there's a great discussion to be had about why men are not emotionally available like black mm. men in particular like it it the, mm. the, the video creates the cause in the black men themselves rather than attributing to the environment that they grew up in mm. so there's more to speak about like not about the person or the individual but about the society and the standards right. we have right we got to carry a burden sometimes like we got we the ones that kind of put on and society again tries to villainize us and make us feel as if we aren't competent enough to be the successful men that empower our communities that we can be so it's mm. hard to take away from a systemic structure that's been there for hundreds of years and dismantle it and then come out on the top for instance right. all again my hood Again, there's a lot of, including myself, like I have difficulties being emotionally available, but I was able to get that success. But a lot of men, because their traumas and their emotional inavailability has Mm -hmm. hindered their progress toward their success. That's a part of your success. Being Mm -hmm. able to be aware, interact with your emotions in order to cooperate with what is necessary to get to the next step. So Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot to say about that. Mm -hmm. And we got to work towards speaking about that as opposed to talking to the man, talk to the system and work together towards creating policy, working with the community efforts, working toward mentorship, not a lot of, for instance, the Bronx the other day, there's teenagers that was jumping, you know, elders, you know what I'm saying, on a block, like messing mm. around with them just because they could. And it was mm. a whole debacle about that. Who are, who, where, where are the resources for those individuals at the end of the day, right? What about the, the young black men that's doing that? How do you think they're going to operate? How do you think right. they, they think like the, the whole pain and poverty that they feel in the hood is representing how they react, and that mm. reaction is hurting others, as opposed to learning how to talk to somebody else about that. Mm. Not knowing that you come to the crib and you don't got food on that table, your mom's at work, and you got to be on the block trying to scrounge money in order for you mm. to like make sustenance work when mm. nothing's working. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's more to it for me. Yeah, and I think that's like a, you know a very um, valid point coming from you as from the perspective of a black man. Um, and you know, overall, I'm grateful for the platform of TikTok and how it's allowed yeah. people to kind of voice their opinions and kind of yeah. like bring up subjects that maybe we tend to ignore or not really bring much focus to. Another person being you know my fellow alum uh, Blake, who mm-hmm. went on TikTok recently and she posted a video kind of just about how she her journey through kind of leveling up on the, in the, I guess the print magazine world, specifically Essence right now, she's currently like a beauty editor. Um, But she was kind of just talking about just her overall journey and her transparency to getting to that level. Right. So Essence is 
a lot of actually magazine companies are based in New York. We all know, I mean, right. we have Erica here. We have both y'all actually, besides me, I'm in the little suburbs of New York, uh, <laughs> Northern New Jersey, but it's New York is expensive. Like let's, you know, let's just put it out there. It's very, very expensive. And I feel like, you know, there's this trope in the black community and just maybe just the, this in general, like in just American society, the American dream is all about working hard to like, get to your dream and that all you have to do is work hard and somehow you're going to land in like your dream opportunity. But sometimes working hard is like only 50% of the struggle, right? The other 50% is how is my dreams going to be financed? Like, how Mm -hmm. is that even going to come to reality? And a lot of the time, the initial way that you like, or the, the first time you get a job, it's not even the like enough for you to finance your dreams it's like not even can't even scrape and cover like 50 percent of your dreams so she kind of just talked about how her being able to get to the level of being a beauty editor on essence came through the support of her parents initially helping her while she was living in new york like she was able to live by herself she didn't have to worry about getting a lot of roommates she was able to like what she said she had the space to dream and a lot of black people don't have that space to dream because of financial restrictions so i mean what do you guys think overall in terms of like i guess this this the way that we project or the way that we kind of frame success and the appropriate journey to that is it always oh you have to struggle to get there and kind of like work your tail off and that's what makes success valid or is there some you know is it also authentic when somebody has support and has that privilege to have help to get to the next you know level Mm -hmm. in their journey or their career or whatever else yeah, I think it's authentic either way because, you know, you don't know how their family struggled prior mm-hmm. to. Um, mm-hmm. This, uh, I'll try to tell it briefly. I have a friend who's like a native DC, mm-hmm. na- yeah, a DC native, there we go, mm-hmm. whose family um, back in like the 1940s um, wanted to purchase a house in. Atlantic City. At that time, the mm. African Americans were pushed or discouraged from doing that, so they started buying homes in Cape May, New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And it's just crazy because, you know, this home is there. She's benefiting from, you know, having a vacation home, for example. And I know this it relates, but it doesn't, but it's like who's to say somebody did not struggle for you at some point? Right. Um for the people that do struggle for success in the now, um, you know, they could be, str- that struggle could be helping somebody down the line. So it's right. kind of like, how do you look at what success is? Is success the now or is success your three generations down when right. folks got properties that are paid for like black people? Cause this is, right. that's, that's wealth. You know what I'm saying? So I think it just depends on how we actually view success and why we view success as if it's immediate or if it's something down the line that, and that, you know, our generations can enjoy later on. Right. Yeah. For me, like, honestly, like, and we're going to segue this into the financial corner real quick. Like, don't be ashamed to, 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 to do your theme song. All the financial corner. (laughs) We got to get the bars real quick. No. Yo, I'm gonna do a rap for that, yo. I'm, I'm that serious. I'm like, yo, 100. percent I'm gonna do a rap for that. But like, how I feel about it, like, I even have a co-resident neurology that he literally lives with his parents, and I think that people feel so ashamed about taking advantage of their resources. And I feel like you should never be afraid if you're in a position for someone else to empower you to like liberate the stresses of living in this inflated, overly inflated society. Take advantage. Like my mom pulled up on me, like. 
what, like three, four days ago, dropped food off. I don't got to worry about, you feel me, like going food shopping. You know, like, it's okay to ask for help at the end of the day. Nah, for real, you know, and it comes into question, like, how do you budget yourself at the end of the day? You got to realize, like, budgeting is so key as you progress toward making this money as a physician. Number Mm -hmm. one, like, they say 50% of your salary at most should go to your actual, like, paying for your your, your, where you're living. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. 30% go to foods, and then you got 20% remaining to go to whatever investments, if you want to get the new J's, whatever have you, then you can do that. But also mm-hmm. another thing, write down your goals, write down your financial goals. Like if today, you today is a start of forever, you feel me? Forever mm-hmm. for your future. So write down, if you want to save a thousand dollars, you know what I'm saying? In the month or in the next couple of months, write that down because when mm-hmm. we, whatever we write, we can manifest. And also write down what your goals are outside of your temporary short-term goals. What are your long-term goals moving forward? Like what businesses you want to have? Like what kind of collaborations you want to build? And I think it says says a lot about this individual that she was being able to be transparent. Because at the end of the day, you should never be afraid of what the future has for you. If you could take that step, take that leap, then you never know what excellence is on the other side of it. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So- Everybody, everybody that's listening, no matter what, like even if like myself, I'm in half a million of debt, but I always believe that there's something greater for myself in terms of the goals that I have financially and building towards that. Listen to podcasts, making sure that you read in books, you know, even if it's 15, 20 minutes a day. Again, if you read seven books in a year, it increases your risk of being a millionaire by 110%. So uh, I love what she's doing and especially being a black woman and black entrepreneur and figuring things out like it, it has to be more that today i was even listening to a podcast by eyl you know what i'm saying earn your leisure they got a dude in north tulsa that started his own black owned supermarket you know what i mean mm-hmm. how many times there's so many food deserts i go to my block there's right. more you know dada generals and all of that than there is like our own you know what i'm saying right so, so think about the wealth that you could cultivate what are creative ways in which you could institute important policy important ways in which you could connect to the community it seems difficult but in retrospect it can be very easy as long mm-hmm. as you are mindful of what you want to do mm-hmm. love mm. it that was our combined run the list <laughs> yeah. and financial corner bam, bam. Bam, 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 bam. well that's our show thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the lounge And you know what the vibes is. Let us know your thoughts about the discussions we had today or ask us a question for a chance to be featured on consults by emailing us at podcast at snma.org. And be sure to follow the SNMA on all our social media platforms to stay up to date on upcoming events. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of The Lounge, and we will see you next episode. I gotta play that Kevin Samuel song. Oh no, please. <laughs> <laughs>